Get your Bible, go to 1 Timothy. We're not in a series. We're just going to have a standalone idea. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm about to come out of left field. I'm going to blindside you. Ain't nobody here ready for what I'm about to preach on. Don't get nervous. It ain't nothing scary. It's good. You're going to like this. It just, it's got nothing to do with 4th of July. It's got nothing to do with anything that's going on in the world. What do you think about what's going on in the world? Well, you should have been here last Sunday. I talked about that. I talked about that last week. The world's blind and can't see. And uh, I don't remember the rest of the outline. Anybody else remember it? What was it? The world's blind and can't see. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited that you guys pay attention every week and remember these outlines word for word. The world's blind and can't see. The church is God's plan for earth right now. And apart from Jesus, there's no other answer for this world. Those are some of my thoughts on what's going on in the world. First Timothy 6. Timothy's, uh, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall as Timothy was reading this letter that Paul wrote him. Timothy was a young pastor, uh, pastoring a growing and thriving church that faced a lot of complexities and uh, the challenges of what comes with a lot of diversity and a lot of different backgrounds. And... um, Paul, at the end of the first letter, takes aim at a narrow margin of the demographic in his church. And he says in verse 17, charge. Everybody say the word challenge. Challenge. Everybody say the word challenge. Challenge. He said, I want you to challenge. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And I want you to challenge these people who are rich in this world that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And I want you to charge these people that are rich in this world that they lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The first part of verse 17, look at it again with me very quickly. Challenge them that are rich in this world. I remember like most any child, I remember growing up thinking, what if I was rich? What if I I grow up for example, if I do what I thought I was going to do and I play professional baseball, well, I'd be rich then. To any standard, I would think that you could qualify as being wealthy and rich. I remember always playing through scenarios in my mind, in my, in my head as a, as a kid, even as a teenager. Man, what if I was rich? What would I do if I was rich? And I think the mentality that I had at 16 has not really evolved much turning 38 in November, I still sometimes ponder out of just the creative curiosity compartments in my cranium, what would I do if I was rich? Well, first of all, if I was rich and I hit it big, let's say I won the lottery. Pastor Derek, you not be playing the lottery. Listen, I'm playing a scenario out, okay? All right? Let's say, let's say, let's say I, I, I got $20 million. What was the first thing I'd do? First thing I'd do, 
as I would invest in the kingdom of God. Now, that's the difference between me now and me when I was 16. I would invest in the kingdom of God. I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd, I'd, buy, I'd buy this piece of property right here, and I'd figure out how to make it home, and then I would start planning creatively the next location of New Grace, and I would pay the staff what they're worth, because right now they work for peanuts, and I would start taking care of some of the things we got to take care of, and uh, I would fund the mission of the, if I was loaded, if I was rolling in dough, no, it was all about the Benjamins. They say, mo money, mo problems. Well, in my mind, mo money means mo property. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out how to get us a place. And then I'm gonna fund the next three or four locations of this thing, because I'm still young. I don't, I don't hit my prime till I get 45 or 55 in the ministry. Isn't that crazy? I ain't gonna turn gray, I already turned loose. But I'm gonna, I, 45 to 55 is prime for the ministry. I'm going to fund, I'm going to fund the mission of this church. Then I'm going to pay off all of our remaining debt. Uh, not, not y'all's mine. And, uh, <laughs> don't start being friends with me now. And, um, I'm going to go buy me a 1992 Dodge Viper. I don't care if I got to fly to California to get it and drive it back across the USA. I'm going I'm to go get me a Dodge Viper, 1992 Dodge Viper. In case any of y'all do happen to get loaded and rich and you want to be a, a blessing to somebody, it's a 1992 Dodge Viper. Uh, then I'm going to buy me a freaking big house uh, somewhere in Florida, and I'm going to have a water park inside. I'm going to have a basketball court inside. I'm going to build a, a baseball field that's wiffle ball measurements and have wiffle ball tournaments in my basement. I'm going to buy a jet ski for every kid in my house, uh, and then I'm going to rescue a bunch of animals. That's what I'm going to do if I'm rich. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy it. Let me, what would you do if you was rich? Seriously, what would you do? Tell me, what would you do if you was rich? You're moving with me. Okay. No, I'd make you pay rent. My brother's going to move in with me. What, what, what you going to do if you're rich? Come on, talk to me. If you was rich, what would you do? Rescue animals. Get out of debt. Shopping spree. You say shopping spree, Tom? Oh, you'd buy the whole shopping center. I've always wanted to open up a restaurant. You could fund, me and James Vineyard are going to have a taco truck. You could fund that. <laughs> what, what else? What would you do if you was rich? Adopt a bunch of kids. Invest in real estate. Somebody's using their noggin back there in the corner. Jacob? Start a race team. All right. Anybody else with any outlandish ideas? Quit your job. You'd quit your job. That's interesting. Andrew, what would you do? Kickboxing gym. Man, ain't that cool. I'm going to pay $50 a month to go get my face kicked in. That's awesome. <laughs> or learn how to kick face in. What if I was rich? Now, now, that's a dream world most of us live in, right? If I was rich. And when I say rich, especially the things we just all named, that's some outlandish fantasy land stuff. Like that's, that's like high rolling, you know, that's, that's big time. That's narcos type stuff. That's, that's, that's grow. That's rich. That's rich, rich. So what, what if, what if we were rich? Where is a better way? I mean, let's approach it in a better way. What if I told you you were rich? What if I could convince you in the next few minutes that you were rich? Oh, I know I'm rich, Pastor Derek, because I know, don't let my car fool you. When I get to heaven, that's my real treasure, bless God. I'm rich in faith, and I'm rich in love, and I'm rich in... What am I? 
I'm rich in faith and hope and love. I got more than my share. I'll be moving to a mansion just over in glory where I'm a rightful heir. Yes, I'm persuaded and convinced my riches are waiting on me in heaven. I mean, a, a city where the streets are made of gold. I take that kind of literal, you know. But that's not what Paul said. He said specifically, I want you to challenge those that are rich in this world. Oh, 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 well, Pastor Derek, we're rich in the next one, not this one. Obviously, we're sitting here playing all these scenarios if we were rich. So apparently, he ain't talking to us because ain't none of us, to my knowledge, rich in this world. Well, stay, stay with me. Let, let me. let me give you an idea here. Let's say, for example, you made $20,000 a year. Okay, now... According to several censuses that I looked at and several, several uh, uh, areas of research, the average U.S. salary ranges from thirty-five to 40000 That's the average, not the median household income. The average salary for a working adult, and it's, it's, it's a big range. Sometimes it was thirty, sometimes it was 43, but about thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a year. So if you made... Thirty-five to $40,000 a year, and then we laid you on the scale of the world's statistics, and you made $20,000 a year, did you know you would be in the top 3.65% of the richest people in the world? If you made 20000 you would be in the, basically the top 4% of the world. In one hour, you make $9.62. Well, meanwhile... The average laborer in Zimbabwe makes 53 cents in the same amount of time. You earn $20,000 a year. It takes the average laborer in Ghana 125 years to earn the same amount of money. It only takes you five minutes to earn enough money to buy a can of Coke. If the average laborer in Indonesia wants one, they have to work two hours just to have enough money to buy a can of Coke. Your monthly income at $20,000 a year, you make $9.62 an hour. Your monthly income in one month could pay the salaries for 123 doctors in Malawi. According to this data, you and me are rich in this world. I just proved to you with data that if you made $20,000 a year, you are in the top 4%. You are rich in this world. I want you to see this. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, and he calls it for what it is. He says, I want you to challenge people who are rich in this world. So at the very end of the letter, something you and I usually in our cultural context, in our frame of understanding, when I've read this in years gone by, I've always thought he was talking about the elites of our country. But based on what he said, if you're rich in this world, based on what we know and realize He's writing a challenge to people like us. 
He's telling us what God wants rich. It even sounds crazy when I say that, isn't it? It sounds crazy when I say what he wants rich people like us to do. We have got such a warped understanding culturally in American Western civilization. We don't realize how good we have it. If you have air conditioning in your home, you're probably rich in this world. If you have more than one pair of pants or more than one pair of shoes, you're probably rich in this world. If you drove an automobile that you financed with monthly payments, or especially if you paid cash for it, you're rich in this world. If you can afford to pump gas in any one of these gas stations, you're rich in this world. If if you've drinking an energy drink, bottled water, or Starbucks in the last year, I'm going to go on record and say, you're probably considered rich in this world. If you can afford to get your hair done, did, or afford the razors that make it happen, you are probably rich in this world. Are you picking up what I'm laying down here? We're rich. And Paul... Right before he closes, says, let's talk about stewardship for a second. Let's talk about money. And he says, I want you to charge those that are rich in this world. Now, that was probably a more narrow margin demographic when he wrote that letter. But it hits you and I right between the eyes when we read it. Because all of us fall into that category. More than likely, 99% of us follow into that category in some way. So what does God want rich people to do? Like, how does God want a rich person to live in this world? I'm going to tell you about the live rich challenge, and that's what I'm going to preach on. I'm going to hit them with you very quickly. There's several aspects to this challenge, and I want to tell you how to live rich. Challenge number one, don't let it get to your head. Don't let it get to your head. Look what he said in verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches but instead of trusting in their money trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things anything I've ever owned and everything I own and anything I'm ever going to own to enjoy number one here's the first part of the challenge don't let it get to your head first of all ladies and gentlemen the money you have it's not yours now, it's attached to your social security number, and it's attached to a banking account that's attached to who you are as a person, but that money is not yours. I have to understand that my money is really not my money. Here's why. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's. Psalm 24 and Psalm 89 teach and tell us that the earth belongs to God. There is not a job on this planet. There's no career path or no position at any company. There's no self employer. There's no business that someone in an entrepreneurial spirit created. There is no job on the planet that is standalone independent of planet earth for that job to be possible. Every job, if you work with technology, if you work in the restaurant industry, if you work in sales, if you work with computers, if you work with cell phones, if you work in manufacturing, if you work in production, no matter what kind of career path you have, everything that makes that job possible traces back to the resources and the very presence of planet earth. You can't have that job and you can't do what you do without this 
earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything you and I have is a byproduct of what God created and what God allowed you and I to inhabit and to enjoy. I love what Job said, a wealthy, you and I would consider him rich, loaded individual who lost all he had and he had the proper perspective. He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. You must understand the difference between being entitled versus being entrusted. I wrote this, again. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. Being entitled means you're believing yourself to be inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. Being entrusted means you have something put in your possession for your care and your protection. I have to come to a place with my money, my possessions, my wealth, everything I've attained, everything I've accomplished, and everything I've accumulated, and understand that I have not been entitled to these things. The last time I checked, the only thing I was entitled with was judgment from God, separation from the Father, a sin debt that I would never be able to afford to pay. I don't care how many churches I attend. I don't care how many times I get baptized. I don't care how many commandments I keep. I am apart from God, alienated from his covenant and his promises, and I need Jesus so darn bad, it ain't even funny. Am I talking to anybody? I am thankful. I did not get everything I dreamed. I did not get everything I desired. I did not get everything I designed, and bless God, I am very thankful. I did not get everything I deserved. If you want to talk about God being fair and me getting and you getting what we deserve, we deserve the hottest corner in hell, the darkest place, the darkest crevice. We deserve judgment and separation from God and it's only by his grace it's only by his mercy and it's only by his goodness that you and I are in this room that we are clothed and in our right mind it's only I said I wasn't going to preach and we was going to teach but I got to call a time out I got to brag on God and say I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful that God gave me grace when I deserve justice God gave me mercy when I deserve penalty is there anybody in this room that can help me rejoice if you know and you're glad that God didn't give us what we deserve. He was good to us despite us. <laughs> so so it's, hard, it's hard for me to build a case of you owe me this. No doubt doubt we work hard to get where we are and get what we have but we have to understand that this life is not ours our body is not ours and if this life and this body doesn't belong to me how the heck does the stuff in my back pocket belong to me I've been entrusted God allowed me when I entered his kingdom and became a joint heir with Jesus he gave me all of his stuff and said now manage it for me the world don't know how to manage this stuff. So I'm going to let you make this a year. And if you're faithful with a few things, I'll make you ruler over many things. Be a good manager of what I've given you. I want you to protect it. I want you to preserve it. I want you to make it prosper. And so what Paul's telling us is don't, don't let what you got go to your head. Number two, bank on God, not on green. Bank on God, not on green. He said, charge them that are rich. Everybody say rich. rich. Oh, he's talking to us, isn't he? That they be not high-minded, nor trust 
in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. You can own it, but don't be owned by it. Look, here's the deal. When your trust is built in finances and not, on God, not in God, your security becomes conditional. That many times we are dependent upon a company or, or a business model or an economy. And, and, and all of us are going to be affected by those things. But, but Paul was daring this narrow audience that he was addressing to trust God, not in, and he didn't say riches, he said in uncertain riches. What good is a lot of money going to do you when you got 30 days to live? Now, that doesn't mean you adopt a lazy mindset that checks a box in your slothful category of, I don't have to work hard, because it doesn't matter. You're going to miss the context of the rest of this, because the Bible says that God giveth us all things richly to enjoy. You know, there's a lot of people in Christianity, they believe that if you're not suffering and you're not starving, that, that you're not living for Jesus, that if you have things or you have stuff, if you drive a decent car or you have a nice house or you wear decent clothes, they, they look at you through a critical lens of, of, of carnal interpretation and think that you don't love God, that you're not serious about the kingdom of God, and that you are living only for yourself. And that's, that's absolutely not true. The Bible says that God giveth us all things richly to enjoy. God doesn't have a problem with a four-wheeler. I mean, I'm, God's got bigger things. I mean, you, <laughs> my wife and I right now are selling our house. And we, we, and we got people looking at it right now as I'm preaching. And uh, we were coming on the road, and I was joking with her. And she said, Lord, please let this house sell. And I said, hey. I said, you know what's crazy? I said, there's, right now, like in the atmosphere, there's angels, demonic angels and God's angels, and they're fighting over what's going to happen in November in this country. And there's angels right now fighting over Israel, and there's angels fighting over China. Just like those angels, Michael was fighting with the angel over the prince of Persia in Daniel. And I said, I don't think this house selling is that big of a deal. <laughs> I was joking because as a, as a father pities his child, my father cares about what matters to me. Sometimes I think that my little world is the only world in existence. God doesn't have a problem with the things we like. What God has a problem with is when we worship the things we like. And, we, and that, we're depending on those things to make us happy. Look, I'm, I'm not a thing-driven person. I'm an experience-driven person. I'll go spend $5,000 on some fancy vacation that I'll never be able to have ever again before I'll buy a four-wheeler. I'm an experience-driven person. I want to be able to taste whatever that food is. I want to be able to get on whatever that beach is. I want to be able to lay in that hammock, and I want to be able to tell that cabana boy to bring me another non-alcoholic whatever. I want, I want to enjoy myself. <laughs> I ain't got to worry about sipping it in front of y'all. Is that, is, that, is that non-alcoholic? What is that, Pastor Derek? What are you drinking there? I see an umbrella on top of it. <laughs> y'all ain't ready for none of this. God doesn't, God, God, God doesn't have a thing against... Things. He doesn't have 
uh, a thing against stuff. God, God's okay with you enjoying your life. But Paul goes on and he uses the word trust because when you lean on possessions and wealth and finances as your hope and your, your, your security, sometimes God will allow life to happen and your health keeps you in check because you're like, what good is this going to do me now? I mean, I can lay it in store for others that are going to go behind me, and I can, I can invest in my legacy, but does it only live on this planet? Does it ever go past that? When, when you bank on God and not on green, you're not counting on some kind of system to provide for you. Jesus said that God, the Father, clothes the grass of the field, and he provides for the birds. I've never seen the birds in my front yard who have a nest on my porch worried about finding pine straw, worried about finding mud, worried about where they're going to eat the next grub worm. The birds are oblivious to the fact COVID-19 happened. The birds are oblivious to November election. The birds are oblivious to what's going on in the world. The birds, all they know is every day I wake up and I do my bird thing and I got bird food and I got bird feed and I got a bird nest and I got bird babies and I got a bird life and it's all bird good. Bless God, bird. I've just got it bird made. We're over here stressing, worried. The whole Matthew 6 was dealing with money and how we let money monkey with us, how we worry about it. And we sit there and, you know what? We waste a lot of good prayer time asking God to give us stuff we need when Jesus specifically said, don't be sitting here begging for stuff you need. I'm gonna take care of what you need. If I can clothe the grass of the field and I can feed the birds in the air, don't you think I can take care of what you need? Stop begging me for stuff I've already got on the radar. He says, now look, challenges one and two, those first two challenges, don't, don't let it get to your head. Don't let money get to your head. If you ever make a little bit of it, you get a lot of it, don't let it get to your head. And secondly, bank on God, not on grain. Just keep, no matter how much of it you get, no matter how well you do or how poor you do, keep trusting in God, not on green. Those two challenges tell us how to look at money, but the next two tell us how to live with our money. This is the so what of the sermon. This is what you actually do with money if you're rich in this world. Challenge number three, do something good with the money you make. Very quickly, do something good with the money you make. Verse 18, he said, I want them to do good. If you're rich, if you make $20,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of the world, right? All right, so if you're rich, I want you to do good in this world and I want you to be rich in good works. I want you to do something good with the money you make. I want you to put it to use. Now, now we're getting into the brass tacks of this. Now we're getting into the nuts and bolts, the so what? What do I do with it? Paul says, you need to tell them, Tim, to do something good. Make your money matter. Make your money matter. It's all, he's already taken away the whole, God don't want us to have nothing. That's what Satan's going to put in your head. God don't want us to have anything. Isn't that what Satan did to Adam and Eve? They could eat from every tree of the garden freely. But what did he do? He made them hone, on, hone in on the one thing they didn't have. And he magnified the one thing they didn't have. And they forgot about all the things they had freely. God's already taken, he's already disarmed us because he said he wants you to enjoy all things richly. 
But then he goes on to say, now let's talk about how to live with your money. Do something good with it. Make your money matter. I'm going to tell you something to do. It's up to you to do it. But I dare you to do this. I walked on my front porch last night. And um, my neighbors, uh, they, they had, I don't know, I don't live in a, in a fancy neighborhood. Some of you have been by my house. I don't live in a very fancy neighborhood. There's no HOA, you know, none of that stuff. It's low key. We keep it real, right? Whatever. Um, we are moving out of there. Uh, last night could have used an HOA. Uh, the neighbors in the cul-de-sac, I guarantee they had $5,000 worth of fireworks. And they drank $500 worth of beer. I guarantee you. It's all night, just go, nonstop. I'm like, God, I'm, we didn't get it. We didn't go nowhere. Over here on the Anglin Manor at Sproutland Estates, we'd walk out on the front porch and enjoy a, a smorgasbord of fireworks and celebration. I thought, man, that's, and I literally, and I'm so, I'm so I get cynical sometimes. I'm like, look, look, look at all them souls that could be reached with that money. Look at all those van routes that could be around with that money. Look at all the sheetrock walls we could build for more small groups with that with that money, look at all that money up in the air. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with fireworks. I was just in a cynical spirit because I keep me up. <laughs> Make your money matter. I dare you to do this. I dare you to print out your bank statement. Take a yellow highlighter and go through your statement and highlight everywhere your money mattered in the next world. And I just narrowed it down. Water bill matters, right? Because you'll be thirsty and smell. You don't pay for water, right? Gas matters. A lot of things you have to do with your money matters in this world. But if you get at what Paul's hinting at here in a second, he's talking about later. Look at where your money mattered in the world to come. Look at where your money mattered in the kingdom. Where did you give money for God to make it good. And if you sit there with your highlighter and you're just staring at that statement going, hmm, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't living rich because I didn't do anything good with the money I made. If you turn your money into good works, that's how you get rich in good works works. I want you to notice a key statement in verse 18. Notice this. Notice this. I'm, I'm going to teach. We're going to teach. Let's go to Sunday school. You ready? He said, I want them to do good, that they be rich in good works. Look at this. Ready to distribute. Now, this old King James English right here screws everybody up, but I got a Greek lexicon, and I'll, I'll tell you what the CSB says. He says, be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That phrase, willing to communicate, is old English terminology. It's the only time it appears in the New Testament. It means to live generously. Be willing to share. That's what it says. Ready to distribute, which means people that are rich gotta live ready to give it. Now, there's four things I want to tell you about giving your money. The first thing the Bible teaches us is a tithe. Everybody say tithe. Now, a tithe is a tenth. It's 10% 10 of your total income and resources. Now, 
The Old Testament Jews lived under a Mosaic law that taught them they were to give a tenth of all that they had in their possessions and accumulated wealth. Now, if you do the actual math on this between income and resources and assets, it was about 22 to 23% total. See, most people don't tell you that. It's actually like 23%. So, so the Jews operated in this law in relation with God, and God said, all right, I want you to give me 10% of what you have of your increase your income. Give me the first of that, 10% off the top. Now, we know when Christ died and rose again, he ushered in a new covenant, a new testament, where now we're no longer under that old Mosaic law. We're under the grace of God. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You just got excited. Like, that means we don't have to give anything at all, doesn't it? <laughs> well, well, well hear, hear me out. If under the law, people gave 10% because they had to. Yes, sir. How much more under the grace of God should we give because we want to? Yes. Not out of law, but out of love. Yes. Not out of duty, but out of desire. Right. And so the, the basic elementary principles of just learning how to be ready to give is you come ready every time you experience increased income. And we're fortunate in America, we get paid weekly, bi-weekly, once a month, N not like never know, maybe once every three months, maybe every day, depending on what your work ethic was and depending on what your job role was in the community. We kind of have it, there's a frequency that's kind of determined. It's easy for us. That's why the online giving is so easy. It's like I can set this up every time I experience increase. I can give 10% because I get to straight away to God. A second level of giving. I'm talking about being ready, right? Ready to distribute. And this is just the basic elements of Christianity here, understanding generosity. The second thing is an offering. An offering is you've already given your tithe, but you have an amount that you're willing to give over and above your tithe. It's an offering to the Lord. And that word offering means to offer, to bring before God as an offering. It's, it's attached to our gratitude and our thanksgiving. And out of thanksgiving, no greater way I can express my thanks than to give God something that matters to me. And I give an offering. The third level is a sacrificial offering. A sacrificial offering is usually attached to a mission, an opportunity, or a need many times within your church. For example, when we did the capital campaign and we raised $200,000 in 90 days, I wanna say something. Many people continued to tithe that were already tithing. Some of them people continued to give an offering to God. Maybe they had cash reserved for an offering above or they, had, they experienced an increase in such a way they wanted to supplement the ministry and they gave, but they set a specific amount a sacrificial offering aside to invest in that need or opportunity. The key word is sacrificial. A sacrifice is only a sacrifice if it costs you something. If I can give it and I don't feel it, it's like Whoopi on Sister Act when she was giving that check, that check to that Catholic charity or whatever. So she was like, oh, didn't want to turn loose of it. A sacrificial offering came from a place of sacrifice. 
So you've got a tithe. That's just my basic. All right, Lord, I got an offering. I've got this. Mm, I'm going to buy a big Zach snack with this. I can make a ham and cheese. I'm going to contribute to the work of the ministry because I believe in what God's doing at my church. Sacrificial offering. What? We're doing what? It's going to cost us what? Bless God. I'm going to be, I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to set this aside over an amount of time. And I'm going to come with this sacrifice offering and I'm going to step up as a church member and as a Christian in the body of Christ. And I'm going to help meet this need. Fourth level, bless money. That's what I call it. It ain't biblical. I'm not saying it's unbiblical. Bless money. Bless money is money you set aside choosing to use it to bless somebody. When a need comes up, when you, when, you are, when you are standing in line at the grocery store and you notice someone behind you and the Spirit of God says, bless them. You put that hundred back on purpose, waiting for a particular moment. Now I'm telling you, use it. And, th- and I'm talking about some advanced generosity here. If you, have, if you haven't figured out how to just honor God with the tenth of what you get in income and increase, you're not ready to do blessed money. But if you've learned how to operate in a place of faithfulness with the simple things God given you, like 10%, and then you've become faithful with blessing the ministry of God with offerings and sacrificial offerings, you, my friend, are ready to start taking 10 and setting it in a place of preservation for when God lays a need or an individual on your heart and you bless them. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus was right on when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. There is something about knowing someone had a need and God used you as the vessel to bless them through him. He says, do something good with the money you make. Challenge number four, I'm done. Invest in an eternal bank account. Invest in an eternal bank account. Notice the wording, verse number 19. Laying up in store for themselves. Whoa, wait, for who? So these rich people that are rich in this world, that are ready to distribute and give away what they have, are actually laying up in store for themselves a good foundation. I wish I had time to jump into Corinthians with you and talk about Judgment Day. But they're laying up for themselves in store a good foundation against the time to come. I like this. This is a scary verse if you read it in the wrong way. Lay hold on eternal life. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden God's like, "Mm, now you're saved. (laughs) The day you were born again, you got eternal life. You live forever, eternally with God. What he's saying is when you begin to operate with this kind of perspective and this kind of generosity, you start really getting a grip of what you already got. Now a, per, a person that is investing in eternity is starting to live like they're going to live forever. That's the best thing I've said all day. 60% of y'all didn't get it. When I begin to invest in eternity while here on this planet, here on this planet, I'm now starting to live in a way like I'm going to live in eternity. 
You lay up in store for themselves a good foundation and you turn loose of it. You release it where you will see it again. I have a good friend and, and, and he, um, he, is, he is very well taken care of. He is, he is what you and I would say, that dude's rich. And he has diversified his financial portfolio in so many ways. He, he's got real estate property here. He just bought an apartment complex, renovating and upfitting an apartment complex and five points in Athens. He's got several beach houses. He's got, he, him and Toby Keith own a racing horse together. He's, uh, he, he's, he's in the medical field. I mean, he's just got his money all over the place and everywhere his money is, it's making more of that money. That's called getting a return on your investment. He's too wise, too smart, and too disciplined to put his money somewhere where it's not gonna make more money. And he's mastered this. And one of the conversations we had recently was coming to the maturity and the understanding where you can put your money somewhere in this world where you may not see it yield a financial return in this world, but it yields a fruitful return in the world to come. Sometimes your return on kingdom investment doesn't always return with decimals and dollar bills attached to it. Sometimes it returns in fruit, which is souls and lives and transformation and families and restoration and salvation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Paul is saying you can actually do something with your money here to where when you're standing before God up there, you've already laid a foundation of faithfulness with your money down here that it's waiting for you at judgment day up there against the time to come. You will see your money again on judgment day. You will see it again. It may not look like Benjamin Franklin. It may not look like Abe Lincoln. It may not look like dollar bills in green, but it will translate over into kingdom currency that God used when you gave it here to matter in a world up there. And a lot of times, what we, the hardest part for us to get here is we don't want to release what we got. If you grew up poor or you grew up and you were against the odds or you didn't, you didn't finish college or, or maybe you did finish college but doors just got some. If you've ever been in a position where you had it and you were used to it or you've never had it, ever, either way, there can be a temptation in your life to where when you get it, you tighten a grip on it so much that you refuse to let it go. The problem when I have a grip on money like this is that my grip is so tight on what I can see, feel, count, calculate, and account of that if you look, there ain't no more room in that hand for God to give me anything else. I got such a grip on what I got that I may miss out on what God has in his hand and only when I'm willing to release 
many times as God willing to release. Now, that don't mean go home and get a cashier's check to empty out your bank account and put God to the test. Well, I'm just going to give it all away and watch God double up or nothing. That, that ain't what I said. Now you're treating God like a wind-up jack-in-a-box, a genie in a bottle that's just going to deliver like a pizza boy. That's not what I said. Many times we can't get to that point of just release. That's the hardest thing is just to release. But you know what's so interesting is there is a story, and it's not even talking about money in this story, but it captures the whole idea of this theme. In John 6, there was a hungry multitude, and Jesus preached a sermon, and he made everybody sit down, and he told his disciples, he said, we got to feed these people. And the disciples said, we don't have bread, nor do we have enough money to feed all these people. The Bible says it was 5,000 men besides women and children. That's probably 12 to 15,000 people total. And John chapter 6 is the only account in the Gospels that tells us about this. One of the disciples said, hey, Jesus, there is a lad here that has a sack lunch, five loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? Now, you need to understand something about that right there. That boy at some point on, in that sermon, at some point at that supper, he heard there was a need yeah. for food. This boy had so much faith to believe what he had could matter that he went up and tugged on Philip's sleeve and said, I don't know what y'all can do with this, but if anything I heard about him is true, take this and see if he can do anything with it. And that boy released his lunch and when he released his lunch, you know what the Bible says? He gave it to the disciples. The disciples brought it to Jesus. Jesus took the lunch out of the bag. He blessed it. He broke it. He multiplied it. He fed every single person. And the Bible teaches and tells us after everybody was fed, there was 12 baskets full left over. Every time I've ever played this story in my mind, I always picture it with this kid going to church. Before he leaves church, his mama says, you need to make sure you have something to eat. He said, mama, I'll be all right. I know we don't have any food. I'll be all right. And she said, I got this left right here. We got five loaves and two fish. It's all we got left, but I want you to eat. Mama will be okay. You go take this to church with you. So he shows up at the church service with a sack lunch, five loaves and two fishes. He sees a need. He willingly releases what he has in his hand, puts it in Jesus' hand. Jesus blesses it because when it's in Jesus' hand, he can do more with it in his hands than he ever could have with it in your hands. He blesses it, multiplies it, feeds everybody. And I've always pictured the ending of the story like this. It's not in there, but I'm the one telling the story, so I'm going I'm to I'm tell you what I think happened. That boy's going to the house. Mama's sitting there waiting on him to show up. He shows up right before dark. He comes over the hill, and as he's walking, there's 12 of the other men behind him yeah. carrying 12 basketfuls. Amen. He says, Mama, you're not going to believe what kind, of, what kind of church service we had today, and you're not going to believe how good my lunch was. Could it, could it be that because that boy was willing to release what he had in his hand, when it got in Jesus' hand, Jesus not only gave him, not only gave him the ability for what he had to matter, Jesus also gave him a return and a remaining return on his initial investment. Because he was willing to release it, God was willing to bless it. 
and God gave him a remaining amount. Ladies and gentlemen, I know when you give to God through the church, you know, it's, it's not like we've got some altar set up somewhere burning incense with some idol that we're gonna go take and dump all the money on the stairs and walk off. That's how we give the money and all the money over the last few years has been given goes into some compartment in some room and we give it to, you know, some God. God uses his body, the church, to meet the needs of this earth, of this community. And when you and I choose to release it, God blesses it. He makes it matter. And don't forget about it because God doesn't. You will see it again. You will see it on the other side. And God will show you what he did with the money you were willing to give. What if, starting this week, I decided to not bank on green, but start banking on God? What if, what if, what if this week, I decided to start making my money matter? What if this week I started investing in an eternal bank account that will stay with me for the duration of forever? What if I saw myself as rich? Because I am. And what if I saw myself as entrusted, not entitled? And I began to accept God at his word and I accepted the challenge to live rich in this world. I want you to stand.